There's an image in Greek mythology, one of the most famous epics, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. The Iliad goes over the Trojan Wars, and then Odyssey is Ulysses or Odysseus, same guy, two different names he's pronounced, pronunciation of a name, uh, Odysseus' journey back to his wife, Penelope. And she's been waiting for like years, a long time for her husband to come back. And um, so it's this epic story that Homer wrote years ago, written in Greek originally. It begins and he's in this cave and he's on his way back and he finally gets out because there's this kind of crazy monster thing, mythological creature that's keeping him there. He escapes and eventually he gets to a ship and he's captaining, captaining the ship on his way back home. That's that's where we're at in the story. Just jumping there. And he's passing a group of islands where he knows there's there's been he's been told that there are sirens. OK, so these are like um, mermaids, if you will, that are on the shores of this island and they sing the most beautiful song, seductive, alluring, just beautiful song that that ships passing by are unable to stay the course. But the men on the ships will they'll turn the ship, and they will go to the shore because they want to hear the songs and they want to see the sirens. And so they try to get to these creatures. And what happens is as they get closer, the ships crash upon reefs, shallow reefs just below the shores, and ship after ship is wrecked. But every ship going by, they think, we will be different. We can somehow navigate. We can find our way to the beach. We can find our way to the source of the song. And so Odysseus, knowing this, he tells his his men, he tells his people, okay, here's what I want you to do. Uh, everybody is going to plug their ears. And so he stuffs everybody's ears so that they can't hear the songs and so they can't hear him if he changes any commands. And then he has them strap him to the to the mast of the ship so that he is unable to turn the steering wheel. He asks them to, to strap him. He has them, he commands them to strap him to the mast of the ship so he can't do anything and their ears are plugged so they can't hear it and they're able to sail by safely as he hears the song of the sirens trying to allure and and seduce them to turn the ship and to come in only to uh, what would have been their utter destruction that is probably one of the most accurate pictures of the allurement of the world man there are some songs there are songs being sung there are images being projected there is a sense of of something beyond our grasp that is there for us that we want to get. And we foolishly just turn the steering wheel, trim the sails, and we head straight for the sound rather than going, wait, there's warnings. There's warnings telling us to avoid. There's warnings telling us to stay the course. There's warnings telling us to strap ourselves to the to the mass of the sail and to keep pushing forward. And yet too many people turn the boat and they wreck on the reef and the rocks. And this passage of scripture is, is that warning for us. First John chapter two, verse 15, it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the Father's love, the love of the Father, is not in him. For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
the desires of the eyes or the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life or some uh, translation. This translation says the pride in possessions or the boastful pride of life, the pride in possessions, pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. In verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So to put it together again, do not love the world or the things of the world, the things in the world. If the love, if if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the desires, of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the, the pride of life, pride of in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the Lord, from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the that's the the warning. Okay, that, that's the, the the alarm going off. Be careful. Be really careful. Because man, it, it's this is it's dangerous out there, and we really need to think and have some discernment as to what it is that we desire and what we're pursuing after. So understand this first of all. When he's talking about the world, what is he talking about? When he says, uh, "Do not love the world," because Jesus says in in John three sixteen, okay, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So why is he telling us not to love the world? And yet Jesus loved the world so much he sent his son. Same Is it the same world? Is it a different world? What is, what is he talking about? God created the world six days, rested on the seventh. And when he was done in his creation, what did he say? He said, it is good. It's good. Man, it's just, I made the world. It's good. So God makes the world. He says it's good. Okay, he tells us, that, you know, Jesus so loved the world, God so loved the world, he sent his son to come die for it. What is he talking? Is it the same world? Is it a different world? What was, what's the difference there? C.J. Mahaney, um, in a book I, I would highly recommend for you guys, um, called Worldliness, Resisting the Seduction of a Fallen World, for navigating the times we live in. Simple little book, highly recommend it. He says this, the organized system, the world is the organized system of human civilization. That is, Actively hostile to God and alienated from God. Okay, it's the it's the active, it's the organized system of human civilization that is actively hostile to God and alienated from God. And and so to further understand this, it's the it's the unique challenge uh, in our day. The unique challenge of our day is not uh, it's not that. The world's more difficult, if you will. I mean, it's the same junk as here. The lust of eyes, the lust of flesh, the boastful pride of life. Okay, that same temptations. They were there in the garden. They were there at Jesus' temptation. We'll look at it in a minute. And, and they were there for the disciples. They were there for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were there for Moses. They were there for David. They were there for uh, Samuel. They were there for Solomon. All the apostles had to deal with the same worldly temptations and fallen world as we do. What's different today? And so the one thing that is a little different that I think is not necessarily worse, but we've just not been so wise and savvy is that we are saturated with so much media today. 
We're saturated with media, bombarded by images on TV, movie, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, you name it, that, that, that delivers endless, this is a quote from C.J. Mahaney, he says, they deliver endless opportunities to pursue pleasure without regard to God and His Word. Endless opportunities to be seduced by the fallen world to succumb to the sin of worldliness. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of, of Lot in the book of Genesis, but Lot was Abraham's nephew. And both of them had big, successful, they were Bedouins, you know, kind of traveling through the area of Canaan, now modern day Israel. And, uh, they, they were getting too big that they were fighting over the same land and, and the same, um, water sources for their huge herds and so they needed to separate and so abraham said you go you pick away and and go that way and i'll go the opposite way you choose first be glad to default to you no problem and so abraham gives his his nephew lot the first choice and so lot goes and he looks around and he looks and he sees this beautiful lush green amazing valley called sodom and he thinks that would be a great place sodom and gomorrah that looks like the best place. and it says that he looks and he saw that that was a great lush land. So he looks and goes for that. Abraham, by contrast, prays and seeks the Lord. And the Lord says, you go that way and wherever your foot tramples, that's your land. I'm going to give you all of it. So he prays, seeks the Lord. Lot looks and looks with fleshly eyes and he sees what he looks, what he thinks is the best. And as the story of Lot's life continues through the book of Genesis, what you find is Lot goes from, from pitching his tent outside in the valley to where he's living inside. At one point there carried off the Sodom and, and Gomorrah, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are carried off and Abraham has to go and free them because uh, they're conquered by another uh, group. And so in that moment, we find Lot living there. And then we find when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot is not only living there, he's raising his family inside the city and he's hanging out at the gate. So he's given a position of authority and he's calling them brothers. And so I think the difference today is that instead of being there being some separation for us, We've like immersed ourselves and we've take, taken Sodom and Gomorrah and it's not a place we live in. It's now the thing that's device that's in our pocket. And so we got our own portable Sodom and Gomorrah in our pocket all the time. And, and we just have this constant and we we don't really think through. Um, maybe I should think through some parameters and some boundaries and some ways to limit, to guard and protect my heart. As God's word says, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Be careful. With your heart. And be real careful. You, you can't guard it by accident. I mean, you, you, have to be, you have to be intentional. And so we, we negate that. And that, that's the difference. We live in a world with, that delivers endless opportunities to pursue pleasure without regard to God and His Word. Endless opportunities to be seduced by the fallen world. So, so in this passage of Scripture, we're given some principles. And verse 15 uh, begins, the first one. How to avoid the seduction of the world. First of all, know that the world is treacherous. The world is treacherous. What does that mean? Well, do not love the world, the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is treacherous. It is, it is fool's gold. It is smoke and mirrors. Okay? Uh, sin seems really cool, seems really awesome. And, uh, righteousness, holiness, godliness seems awful, intolerant and presumptuous. But the world, man, that's just that's that's where we live, you know, and God made it all and he wants us to enjoy it all. OK, 
And so uh, we should we should just camp out there, enjoy the world, enjoy the things of the world, and because God made it all, and it's you know every gift from God, every perfect gift is uh, from the Father above, and so let's just enjoy it. Well, now the, the world is fallen, and it's dangerous, it's treacherous, and it's not to be taken lightly. And so people who love the world, love the world. Here's some traits of those kind of people. The goal of worldly people is to move forward rather than upward. The goal of worldly people is to move forward rather than upward. To live horizontally rather than vertically. In other words, to live uh, thinking about what's here rather than thinking about God above, right? We think about what's going on here. How can I advance my career? How can I not... How can I protect myself from from the, the past and not go down that road again? How can I make sure those people don't hurt me again? Or that doesn't. How can I make sure that I um, conquer this or get that or achieve this or achieve that? Everything's horizontal rather than how can I honor and glorify God with my life? How can I honor and glorify God with my money, with my time, with my eyes, with my heart, with my family, with my everything? I, it's not vertical. Worldly people they they think horizontally. They seek after. Outward prosperity rather than holiness. And they burst with selfish desires rather than heartfelt supplications, prayers. Supplications is a, is a fancy word for prayers. So they, they seek after that which is outward prosperity rather than holiness. They burst with selfish desires rather than heartfelt supplications and prayers to God to meet needs. Going on, it says, if they do not deny God, they ignore and forget him or else they use him only for their selfish ends. If they they don't deny God, they just ignore him. Or if they don't deny him and they don't ignore him, they use God for their selfish ends. I would never use God for my selfish ends. Have you ever prayed or heard or you ever said or heard somebody say or, or thought in your mind? I can't believe God would let them die. I can't believe God would let them get sick. I can't believe God would let this happen to me. I can't believe God would let this. I can't believe God would this, God would that, God would. And, and you've maybe battled with some bitterness and frustration, some anger towards God because he didn't do things the way that you thought it should be done. And, and you're bothered by that. Or, or many people grow up in a theology and a doctrine <clears throat> that teaches them that, that God blesses people and he gives them Money and health and prosperity and all whatever they want, the desires of their heart, he'll unload them for them. If they're they're godly, they're going to get whatever they want. They're going to be rich and healthy and perfect and whatever. And, and the reality is, they they've created a god that's not in the Bible, not in the book, but is one of their own fictitious version of of a god that is created for their selfish ends. And then to end this quote, he says this: Worldliness is human. Nature without God. Joel Beek uh, is the one who said this. Worldliness is human nature without God. That is what worldliness is. And so we understand the world is treacherous. It is dangerous. But secondly, we understand that we need to know that the world is tempting. The world is tempting. So the world is tempting. What does that mean? Well, Verse 16, for the, all that is in the world, for the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What, what does that mean? Well, 
Worldliness is, is not inter, is not, um, external. Okay. It's not environmental. It's internal. Worldliness is not external, but it's internal. Uh, Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, worldliness is not so much a matter of activity as it is attitude. Okay. So it's not necessarily the environment around us. Okay. It's, it's not ungodly to have a smartphone in your pocket, right? It's not ungodly to, um, to live in the world. God's not calling us to go to an island and isolate ourselves or up into the mountains and get away from the world. God's not calling us to that. In our life groups, a couple weeks ago, many of us, as we were studying through the Gospel of John, we got to John 17 and Jesus' prayer for His people that they would, uh, that God would protect them from the evil one and that He would send them as the Father sent Jesus. He was sending His people and He was asking the Father to protect them from the world as they live among the world, as they're sent out to live among the people of the world. God, Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he dies on the cross for us. He's praying for his future disciples that will believe in him, that will follow him, that they would be protected as they live among the world. God intends for us to be that way. So it's not the environment. It's, it is, um, it, it's not external. It's internal. It's not uh, it's not our it's in our activities or what we're doing so much is our attitude towards the things that are around us. And I think you'll see that as this um, we explain this more de- in detail. A pastor named David Jackman, he said this, the world characteristics of which this verse speaks are, in fact, reactions going on inside us as we contemplate the environment outside of us. David Powelson, uh, paraphrasing John Calvin He said this, I have this quote, uh, you'll see it in a minute, but John Calvin wrote, the desire, the evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want it too much. The evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want too much. He said, what what do you mean? Well, is, is hunger evil? No. Hunger is not evil and food's not evil. Food's good. Hunger is good. It'll, it'll keep you alive, actually. It's a good thing to want to eat. If you don't eat, you, you can't, you can only go so long not eating, right? So hunger is good. Food's good. But, uh, if you eat too much, then you shift over into gluttony, right? That's not good, right? You said, well, what about drinking? I mean, thirst, the thirst is good. To drink is good. Drink too much of anything's not good. Certainly of, of alcohol, obviously, that would be very not good. Uh, that, that's going to have worse effects. But you drink too much Coca-Cola or caffeine or water even, milk, whatever. You know, too much at one time, not healthy, right? Um, marital intimacy, good or bad, evil. Desires that God has placed in men and women. Is that natural? Is that un- It's natural. It's good. In the right context, it's a gift from God. But outside of marriage, it crosses over into immorality. And it becomes destructive, hurts families, doesn't help. Um, sleep, is that good? Yes, yeah, sleep is great, wonderful. I, I would imagine most of us here need more of it, but sometimes we shift over from <clears throat> being uh, sleepy and or needing sleep, and we take this gift, and, and people can actually become too lazy. Okay, they can become lethargic. They can become sluggards, as uh, the Bible says in Proverbs. As the door swings on its hinges, so the sluggard tosses and turns in bed. And so that, that could be bad. Um, you know, peace is peace. Evil, no, peace is a good thing. I mean, 
Uh, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. It's a great thing, but when the challenges of life load up and we're pursuing peace instead of finding them in God and we, and we begin to run to escape the world and the challenges and in unhealthy, ungodly, uh, God-dishonoring ways, then, then peace becomes a bad thing, the pursuit of peace. And so it's we have to understand that the, the evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want it too much, that it takes the place of God and we worship it rather than worshiping God. And so... Understand this, looking at these verses, uh, the desires of the flesh, for instance, for all that is in the world, <clears throat> the desires of the flesh, that word desire, lust, means to have strong passions or desire, lust uh, of the flesh. It's our natural fallen state of rebellion and opposition to God's rule in his ways. We rebel against God's rules. So in our in our nature, the lust of the flesh is to say, I don't really want to do things God's way. I really, I'm kind of doubtful that God has the best plan for me. And so if we were to look at Adam and Eve, we've got a tree, we've got this beautiful tree, and has all this fruit on it, and we can eat every other fruit in the, in, the, in the garden, any other tree in the garden, everything is there for us, except this one tree, knowledge of good and evil, can't eat of that. We look at that, and we, we, we look past all the other ones. <clears throat> and this desire within Adam and Eve, <clears throat> which was not a sin yet, but this lust and this desire begin to question God's ways and God's rule and God's authority and God's truth. Did God really say, did he really mean if we eat of this, we'll really die? Did he really? And so they look to the tree and start going, you know, there's just something. In me. I, I wonder if there's something out there that maybe God is hiding something from us. Maybe there's something beyond what he's offered us everywhere else in the garden. Maybe there's something there. And so they look at it and they desire it. That's the lust of the flesh. And then the desires of the eyes is, is through our eyes. It's to be captivated by outward show of things without considering the real value. The, the best illustration in my mind to think of is, again, smoke and mirrors. Or if you've ever been on a, a movie set or a drama set or play set. And, you, you know, you look and you're like, man, this is, you know, you go to Disney World to the studio part of, of one of those theme parks. And you're looking at these streets that just look so amazing. I mean, you're you're you're. You know, in Orlando, and you're looking down the street, and it looks like you're, uh, you know, in uh, on Broadway in New York, or you're in whatever city. You know, you pick the city; they've got this facade there, and it looks amazing. And then you walk over to the side, and you look behind it, and there's a bunch of two by fours and all kind of wood and different things holding the wall up. There's nothing behind it, right? Empty. It's a facade. It just appears to be something that it really isn't. And the lust of the eyes is to look at things and go, man, that looks amazing. That looks so beautiful. That looks just incredible. But but you never consider, I wonder what's on the other side of the wall. I, I wonder if it's really what it appears to be. I wonder if it really delivers on what it offers me. That's the lust of the eyes, is to look at something on the outward and to say, man, that looks so good. I, I But to not think through, does it really have the value we are assigning to it? Thirdly, he says the pride of life or pride in possessions. It's to, someone once said, Barclay said this, he said to impress everyone, the, the person who's about the pride of life is, is seeking to impress everyone he meets with his non-existent importance. person who has the pride of life, they're, they're trying to impress everybody they meet with their non-existent importance. I mean, they just, they just think they're really something. Man, they, they are just really important, valuable, amazing, wonderful. And yet the reality is 
they're not what they think they are. You know, it, it, they just they just aren't. And so <clears throat> in all of us, we battle these three things. And here's the thing. Everyone in here, you have one of those three areas is going to be the greater challenge for you. There's going to be it's going to be your nature in you that desires to have that which you do not have and kind of rebels and chafes against resist God's authority and rule or that part of you that maybe the lust of the eyes is your thing where you really struggle with pursuing things that that really you're not you, you never stop to think what is the real value in that am I am I investing my time and laying my life down and my money and my resources and whatever to to worship this thing that really is is lesser and is, is destructive and I have I elevated the creation above the creator and am I is that an idol in my life and so the lust of the eyes you might the appearance of things without really considering the value or, or the pride of life. It's just an arrogance and a selfishness. You think, I know what's best. I know what's best. And I'm, and I, I can do this on my own and I can really, and I'm going to conquer and achieve and whatever and I can figure it out myself. And you have this need to control the world and to control your world and to control everything. And you think, and you have, you live under the illusion that, that you can control or maintain or present the appearance that you have it going on and you got it under control. And that's the pride of life. Interestingly enough, these correspond, this is what I love about God's word. So, you know, written over 3,000 years by 30 plus different authors, most of them not knowing each other. And so you go back all the way to Genesis that was revealed by God to Moses. Moses pens it, writes it down, okay? In Genesis chapter 3, in the fall, here's what we find. So Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 6, uh, they're looking at the tree and right before she bites, this is what she says. Uh, it's, or the scripture says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh. She looks at it, she's like, hmm, that looks good. I mean, I, I think, I think that then there's this desire to challenge, to challenge God's rule and to, I think that that's going to nourish me and I'm questioning God and what he said because I think that he maybe is not telling me the full truth and so I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. And then second, she's, it, it says that it was pleasant to her eyes. She's looking at it and she's going, I, I kind of challenging based on these natural desires in her. She's going, mm, I really think that this would be good. I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And then she's looking at it and going, and secondly, it looks really good. So it appears to be, I mean, it looks clean. It looks healthy. It looks, it doesn't look like there's no worms or maggots or anything on it crawling out of it. I mean, it looks really good. And so, so she, she looks at it and she, Less the eye, less the flesh, less the eyes. And then thirdly, she says, and it's able to make one wise. To be desired to make one wise. If I, if I do eat of this, I will have a knowledge that I don't have right now, and that will make me wise. And so I think I'm gonna try it. And so she bites not the apple, but the lie. That the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the desire for the prideful life and possessions <clears throat> was feeding her. And instead of looking at those, that temptation and going, you know what? Yeah, I desire to eat and I have eyes and I can recognize beauty and I can see those things. And yeah, I want to have more knowledge, but yet God loves me, protects me, cares for me, provides for me. Why would I question my loving God in the midst of a tree where he told me would clearly be a danger for me? Even though my flesh wants it, I look at it as it looks good and I have this desire to have more. I know that that is outside the realm of what my father, my God, that I can hang out in the garden face to face with what he has for me. So I'm going to reject it and I'm going to stick with God. I don't want what's behind door one. I'm going to stay with what I already have and I'm just going to I'm just going to 
hold what I have and I'm not pursuing something else because I know that's going to be the best. But in all of us, you put yourself in that situation. What do we do? Well, maybe just one bite. Well, maybe just one. Maybe. And we we bite the lie. Here's the thing. It's easy to throw Adam and Eve under the bus. Man, they're just so stupid. They messed it up for all of us. I mean, they only had one thing to resist. We got like thousands, billions, millions of things to resist. They had one thing, only one thing. Actually, they had three things. That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, both were proud of life. That's what they had. And we have more options, but the same simple three temptations. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Same thing. But we fail. You say, well, what's the hope? Is there a hope? Yeah, there's a hope. His name's Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness by God's Holy Spirit after his baptism into his temptation. Jesus, by contrast, says that he was tempted by the devil. Tell this stone to become bread. What is that? Desire of flesh. Forget what God says. Tell the stone to become, you're hungry. Tell the stone to become, to become bread and eat it. And Jesus says, no, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, I, I'm going to cling to the truth rather than a lie. And I'm not turning the rock into bread to eat, to satisfy my temporal desires because I'm about what's eternal, not what's temporal. Okay. I can, I can, I can hang in there. Okay. I, I don't need that. Secondly, I will give you, second temptation, I will give you all the this world's kingdoms and this authority. And then the third one. Throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. So he takes him up to a hill, to a mountain, and he says, look at all the world. Look with your eyes at all the world. I'm going to give you the world and you don't have to, you don't have to die for it. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. I, I'm going to just, I'm just going to give you. You can have it. I will turn it over to you and you can have it all. I'll stop fighting God. I'll stop. Look, I will. I'll make a pact with you. A little peace agreement. I'll give up my fight with God and you can have it. You can have the rule and reign of this world. No blood, no sweat, no suffering. What do you think? Man, it looked good. Did that not look good to Jesus? Was he not looking at that going, man, that looks good. And Jesus resists and says, no, fights him with scripture. And then thirdly, the pride of life, throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. Why don't you use your power and your authority and the value of who you are as a son of God and jump off of the top of the temple and before you hit the ground, God will send his angels to to uh, catch you. Why don't you show your power and authority that way? Why don't you do that? And he challenges him on the area of the pride of life. And again, third time, Jesus, where we would fail, where Adam failed, where Eve failed, where we fail, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life, Jesus does not fail. And Jesus stands firm. Moving on, um, last couple thoughts in this. The, the, the last area, we, we need to know that the world is treacherous. We need to know it's tempting. Lust the eyes, lust the flesh, boastful pride of life. It is tempting. But we also need to know that it is temporal. It is temporal. It's treacherous. It's tempting. And then it is temporal. It is Temporal. The world wants to destroy us, to abuse us, and yet God wants to save us from it. Warren Wiersbe said this, is anything in a Christian's life, Christian's life, that causes him 
to lose his enjoyment of the Father's love or his desire to do the Father's will is worldly and must be avoided. So, in other words, let me go back over that statement. Anything in in a Christian's life that causes him to lose his enjoyment in the Father's love or his desire to do the Father's will. See, that's the two key words. The Father's love, the Father's will, which is all over First John. I don't know if you've recognized that. I mean, we, are we going to do the will of the Father? And do we have the love and, and have a love for the Father? That's what reveals people that are followers of Jesus. It's not that if you are if you love the Father and you do the will of the Father, then you can become a Christian. That's not what this is communicating. But it's saying if somebody is a follower of Christ and knows Jesus, okay, then... <clears throat> they're they're fighting against the world because they have a love for the father. They have a love for the father and they have a desire to obey the father because they know that's best. And those two things, a greater love and a greater purpose is what helps them navigate the temptations of the sirens. You see that? that that's what helps them fight against the temptation. That's what helps them from turning the ship into the shores to wreck upon the reef. That's what helps them resist. Here's the thing. I'm not offering for you a list of 10 things you need to do to fight against the world. I'm not giving you... A, there's the three remedies for lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the, the boastful pride of life. The greatest way to fight against that is to understand that there is a eternal love and an eternal God and an eternal reward that is far greater. I mean, think about this. We're going to trade 80 years on this earth at best for eight bazillion years in heaven with everything. For smoke and mirrors. For smoke and mirrors. For fool's gold. For a facade. For that which is temporal. I mean, seriously. I mean, we've got to recalibrate. That's why it's critical for us to be in the word of God. Because we're being bombarded by so much information and yet we hardly read the word of God on our own. We hardly memorize and saturate our lives with the word of God. And yet we wonder why we're so often getting bumps and bruises on the rocks or our life is getting wrecked. We don't understand that. And yet we don't ever look at truth as opposed to lies. We're just constantly bombarded by lies. I mean, that's the goal of marketing. Everywhere you go, you're being fed lies. And so do we recognize that? Do we see that? And are we fighting against that? And so he goes on by saying, responding to the Father's love, <clears throat> which is your personal, one, one of the ways you do that is your personal devotional life. And doing the Father's will, that's what you do about what you're learning, what you're growing. These are two tests of worldliness. How do you respond to the Father's love? When the Father says, hey, come get alone with me, come get away with me. I want to spend time with you. Do you respond by getting alone with God, by, by fostering a prayer life and a desire for God's word? Or, and, and do you obey him with your life? Or do you just run after whatever is the fleeting desire of the moment? Why give your life to empty imitation, worthless fake, a temporal illusion? It, it's basically another way of contrasting this for us. It's like taking a a match or a candle, okay, and saying, man, this, this, this little flame, I mean, it it might look petite to you, might look small, whatever, but there's a warmth, 
Mm, it's satisfying. I mean, there's a glow to it. There is a, I mean, there's a, a scent. It's really amazing. And, and if you would just orient your life around it, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. This, this is where it's at. I mean, you, you, you can get all the light you need for whatever, I mean, for your crops, for your sunlight, for your, I mean, you don't need anything. You just, just, this will replace all other sources of whatever you need. This little, and, and we compare this little tiny thing to the sun. The sun. I mean, our, our earth rotates around the sun. Gravitational pull. It's going around the sun. I mean, it illuminates everything. It provides our heat and our warmth and dictates our seasons. It provides the, the light to be able to get plants to nourish in the circle of life and all that stuff to happen. That The world that God's made. I mean, it's the sun. And, and it's, it is, I mean, you, you try to embrace the sun, okay? And it, it gives, I mean, it's, a, it's not that close to us. It's a little far away and we couldn't get close. We'd be killed trying to get close to it. But nonetheless, we are satisfied with a match that you light and in seconds it goes out when God says, well, I'm the sun. And we're like, no, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing the match. I can control it and handle it easier. <laughs> I don't want a God I can control and I can handle. I want one who is greater than I am. The, the answer to the fight is this. It's to have a greater love. For uh, Odysseus, what he did is he said, strap me to the mast of the sail. And his love for Penelope caused him, his love to be back, reunited with his wife who he'd been separated from. He wanted to get back to her and his love for her caused him to not want to be distracted or allured to the side or to risk being shipwrecked again. He was going to continue and stay the course. And so he set up the parameters of different things he did, not because he wanted to do the right thing, not because he was trying to organize, because he had a greater love. It was his love for Penelope that caused him to push past the sirens. You understand that? And so for us, what is it that keeps us away? It's, it's our love for God. It, you, you say, well, I, what does that mean? How do I love God more? What is it? What is it you know, it's to be astounded. It's to be wowed. It's to be shocked by God's love poured out for us on the cross. This is the heart behind the lyrics of the word of the hymn, the wondrous cross. Listen, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain, I, I count it, but loss, and I pour contempt on all of my pride. Forbid it, Lord. Forbid it, Lord, that I would boast Except for, save in the death of Christ my God. I mean, that's the only thing worth both boasting about. God, help me not to boast about my life or my family or my car or my house or my job or my sermon or my this or my that. Help me to boast in Christ alone. If I would forbid me, Lord, that I would boast and find value and worth in anything other than the cross in Christ. My God, all the vain things that charm me most. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands and his, his feet, sorrow and love flow, mingling, mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow, did ever such love and yet sorrow and grief, did they ever meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown 
Thorns. Not gold. Not diamonds. Not emeralds. Thorns. But yet, has there ever been more rich a crown than the one that was on our Lord as He hung on the cross for us? I mean, did ever, was there ever a gift that somebody had that, that showed more wealth and power than that God of the universe who spoke the world in existence would humble Himself to the point where He would put a thorny crown from a bush that He made and He would allow it to be placed upon His head and crushed into His skull? There's no more beautiful picture in the suffering and yet the the love of god in christ in that moment were the whole realm of nature mine man if if i could not just have the knowledge of the 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 tree of the knowledge of good i mean if i could have the whole garden if i could have the whole realm of if i could have the whole universe the, the galaxies that they haven't even found the ends of yet if i could get the whole thing and if it was all if it all belonged to me that were a present far too small love so amazing and so divine. It demands my soul and my life. And my all. The wondrous cross. If you're tempted. Which you are. You are tempted. I'm tempted. When you're tempted. If you want to fight against temptation. The fight against temptation is to spend time with the Father. And to trust in Jesus. He has the righteousness you don't have. He is full of the love that you don't have. He has provided us everything. He has the holiness we don't have and he paid the price for our sins. You don't have to you don't have to hide from God. You don't have to run from God. You don't have to construct your own righteousness or pretend that you're better than you are. You don't have to do that. See, the, the fight in worldliness usually ends in two camps. People come up with a list of okay, if we're going to not be worldly and we're not going to succumb to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life, here's what we need to do. Let's come up with a list. Let's come upon it. We'll come up with a list of what music is appropriate, what music is inappropriate, what we should wear, what we should not wear, what movies we should watch and what movies we should watch, what apps we should have on our phone and what apps we should not have on our phone, what we should do with our time and money, what we should not do. And we'll come up with a perfect list. And that way we can protect ourselves from being worldly. No, (laughs) it's not that simple and it won't work. Okay, and that's not the answer. And the flip side of that is we go, you know what, man, we live in the world. There's no way around it. It's just. It is what it is, but Jesus died for us. Hey, wondrous cross, right? You know, Jesus giving us all, died on the cross for us. We're trusting that. No. Now, for the believer, it's to reject trying to construct your own way of impressing God. And it's to look at the things in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and say, you know what? Boastful pride of life, I'm, that's smoke and mirrors. It's fool's gold. It is a... It is an illusion and there are rocks under that water, that water that will crush and wreck my life and the boat of my life. And so because of my love for Christ, I'm going to tie myself not to the mass of the ship, but to the cross of glory. I'm going to tie myself to the gospel. I'm going to tie myself to Christ and his righteousness and his payment for my sins. And I'm going to inform myself from God's word of his love for me. And I'm going to meditate and chew on that and hang in that so that... That will shield my ears from the lying songs. And that will cause me from, it will protect me from running off after something. And then in the end, it is my love for the Father and His love first for me poured out through Christ that helped us stay the course. And He gets all the credit and all the glory because He alone is worth it. The question for you is where are you at on the battle? Have you given in? Lust of the eyes, lust 
the flesh, boastful pride of life. You give it in, you stop fighting, or you trying to construct your righteousness and you kind of come up with your list and it makes you feel like you're at least good enough. Reject your need to be good enough. And reject your need to say that doesn't matter. And find Christ to be sufficient. And if if you're going, man, I, I hear what you're saying, love for Jesus and love for God, and, and I, I hear it, but I don't get it. I'm not there yet. Well, then, then I would encourage you to stoke those fires. To nourish yourself and place yourself in the places where you can be fed and encouraged and nourished with truth rather than lies. And get into the Word of God and cultivate a desire for the bread of life and the living water rather than the uh, fake stuff that this world offers on the shelves and feeds us and sells us that as if it's going to really nourish the soul when it won't. You drink of that water and you'll thirst again. But you drink of the water Jesus has and you will never thirst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of the cross. We thank you for the reality of Christ. We thank you for the reality that you love us, Father. You have... And you are so much more valuable. God, you are eternal. Lord, help us, awaken us from the stupidity of wasted lives. Wasted gifts. Wasted time. God, may we be about God over self. May we be about people over things. May we be about eternity over time. And Father, help us rip off the veil from our eyes that we can see the world for the temporal, fleeting match that it is. And God, may we bask in the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, will your Holy Spirit take these words and fashion them like a perfect arrow to our hearts and God may you tie us to the mast of the cross and may your love bring us safely home in Jesus name we pray amen